Creative Smart Talk is your guiltless accountability partner, where failure is celebrated, where we make space for women who are passionate but exhausted some days, where we affirm your ability to succeed, where we provide actionable advice without overruling your innate abilities. It's about success defined by emotional wholeness. Smart conversations with creative women. Here, we serve each other. We laugh, we rant, and we might even cry. Welcome to Creative Smart Talk, Episode 5. I'm your host, Nia Phillip, founder of creativesmartgirl.com, and I'm on a mission to enjoy the journey, and I'm taking you with me. In today's episode, I'm joined by film- filmmaker and philanthropist Asha Boston. Welcome. Thank I'm you. I'm so Thank happy you. to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. I wanted to have this conversation with you because I think you have such a very unique take on mm-hmm. personal branding. But we'll get there in a few because you're like an amazing human being that does amazing work in the world. So I want to start talking about that first. Um, so how are you? That's like the first question. How I'm are you? I'm doing pretty well. You know, I can't complain. I had a rough week because I lost my glasses. Oh. But I found them today and I feel like a whole new woman. <laughs> I feel like I brought that I feel like I brought yes. that into your life. You're like, yes, me yesterday. <laughs> I have to find my glasses. Yes. Good. I'm I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear that. So Let's talk. To, let's start by talking about how we first met, which was through the dinner table doc. I attended one of the dinners. Um, so tell me all about the dinner table, how it got started, and why you started it. Sure. Um, so the dinner table is a 501c3 non-for-profit organization, and we aim to create safe spaces for young women of color. And we do that by hosting live events, but we also curate, um, you know, different forums and ways of communicating with girls online via our social media handles, just so that know that they're supported, they're safe, but most importantly, we're connecting them to opportunities and resources. And we got our start as a film project, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I was in college and I was finishing my international relations degree. And by chance, I just happened to take a film class and I was like, this is amazing. You know, I'd been working in journalism since I was about 16. And so I was already writing for publications at that time. Um, But it really excited me to know that there was a whole other way to communicate with an audience that's really close to, you know, the kind of journalism that I admired because I really loved like photojournalism and, you know, just visuals and telling really compelling stories. And so I realized that you can do that through films and documentary making. And um, I remember telling my professor, like, I think it's too late for me to start because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much finished with college at this point. And he's like, no, just get out there. You can make a film. Like, people make films in their iPhones. You can just, right. you know, you can do anything. And so, you know, with that encouragement, I started trying to look for my my subject. I wanted to make a documentary. And um, I spent one summer, you know, just trying to convince one person to let me do a documentary on them. That didn't work too well. (laughs) But then um, I remember, you know, talking to my professor about it. And, like, maybe a few days after I was leaving, I went to see him again. And on my way out of his office, I saw a post on Instagram by Essence Magazine. And they were looking for films about multidimensional black women. And I'm Mm -hmm. like 
maybe this is my chance to yes. do a documentary. Like, I can do this. I can enter this contest, and I'm going to black women in Hollywood. This is going to work out. Um, and so I'm huge on research. So I started researching why they were having this contest. And they found that a lot of their readers felt as though the images of black women on television weren't a true depiction of who they were. Mm. And so I said, you know, maybe I can do something like against reality television. Right. But reality TV is such a huge field that, you know, how am I going to take down this this beast almost, right. you know? So um, I did more research about what makes a good program and what makes a good story. And I stumbled upon Sesame Street. And um, I ended up reading this book called Street Gang about how Sesame Street got started. And basically they said that they took the simple question, which was, could children's television be educational? And they started from there. And so I'm like, well, maybe I can do that too. Like, right. can reality TV be an educational experience? And um, I decided to kind of format the film after, you know, the setup of reality TV. So you have confessionals and then you see, you know, just people living their life. Mm -hmm. And I brought together young women that I know personally who are just doing amazing things at such a young age that you don't normally see. Right. And like while I'm doing all this work, I'm not even cognizant of the deadline and the fact that like it had passed. Oh, wow. But I completely missed the deadline on the contest. But it turned out to be the best thing ever because here I ended up with this film that showcased so many different women doing so many different things and, and was such an inspiration and I had complete control of it right. and so um, a lot of my friends from college then started inviting me to their school like their old high schools and you know church groups and stuff and I would show the documentary and talk to students um, but there was one time where I showed the documentary and a student's like this is cute but this is not my life like right. when am I ever gonna meet young women like this? When am I ever mm. going to go to dinner and have these conversations? And so I'm like, oh, man, here I thought I was doing a good thing, but it's not <laughs> enough. So right. I said, you know what? Why can't this be her real experience? Like, why can't she go to dinner and sit down with, you know, other young women and older women and have an inspirational and encouraging and empowering time? Like, it doesn't have to be what happens at the dinner table on reality television. It can yes. be what happens in people's homes or what doesn't happen in people's homes it's just it's a really safe and centered space and I'm really glad that you know through our work we're able to give girls that experience I mean it's so it's so incredibly powerful for so many reasons so I think the first reason being the contrast for reality tv the second reason being how many times black women and women of color have to create their own tables mm -hmm. um and it's also about like your your family ties like the dinner table is so important in the home mm -hmm. so like the dinner table doc is just super super powerful in so many ways and i'm so so proud of you and Thank i you. love 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 what you do with it i just we i recently attended the um the award ceremony that you held and then you had prom get readies yeah. how did those two things come about the award ceremony and then the the prom get readies how did that come about because i kept seeing them on my timeline I'm oh like, my look gosh at, yeah. look at asha again doing <laughs> dope stuff so talk about those two things and you know i i just love it okay sure um well the award ceremony actually came about because of the hot combs and sunday dinner event mm -hmm. that we have every december so hot combs and sunday dinners is our staple dinner that yes. we throw every year where we bring together those young women and the you know older women and you know just have that intergenerational dialogue mm -hmm. and this year we had about well 
not this year, 2017, we had about five or so honorees. And um, of course, like majority of the schedule was, you know, aligned so that they can make their speeches and, you know, the girls at the table can get to talk to them. But we gave a little space in our program for the young women to get up and speak and, you know, share their truth. And so we played a little table game called If I Were Queen of the World. (laughs) And they had to come up with, you know, maybe three things that they would do if they were queen of the world. And they we, we gave it like a 15 minute window and honestly like the amount of girls that wanted to get up and speak wow. oh my gosh it was heartbreaking to say like okay we have to stop now right. we're like moving on and so our board met right after that event and you know we we just talked about how special that moment was and we recognized that hey you know although we take the time to honor older women during this mm-hmm. dinner we do have a lot of young women who are doing amazing things as they well. They were incredible. Oh, my gosh. Zinga is, they? My, oh. is my idol, by the way. At she's amazing. 14 or 15. She's I think amazing, she's 15 now. that girl. She's my idol. Okay. They're, it was incredible. I sweat her Instagram all the time. <laughs> I'm always on there like, what? Like, she's so talented. I can barely, like, ice a cupcake the right way. And <laughs> she's, like, got whole cakes that right. tear. And, yes. like, oh, so amazing. She's so, incredible. Yeah, and I had wanted to honor her for a long time because yes. I'm like, you're just doing amazing things. We have to recognize recognize you. And so we just went with the idea that, you know what, it's time for us to give these girls their flowers because, you know, they're not old enough to, well, I can't say that they're not old enough to make history, but, you know, I think that not every media outlet is looking for them if they're not a celebrity at that age. You know, they don't always recognize the young people who are doing amazing things Mm -hmm. unless it's like something really groundbreaking. Extraordinary and groundbreaking. Extraordinary. And so, um, we just we just took it from there and we said, okay, we're gonna call this eighteen under eighteen and we're gonna honor young women under eighteen who are doing amazing things in their lives and their communities, who are overcoming their obstacles. Um and so we just kinda had like a brief selection process. We took recommendations from schools and, you know, just kinda surveyed the girls that continuously come back to our events and that's how we curated our final list of girls. Um and they they're just amazing. And then um as a gift for the graduating seniors, we have a lot of makeup artists as friends. Mm-hmm. And so they were all like, whatever you need, prom season is coming up. We're willing to donate our talent and our time and our services. And so, I mean, we got really lucky with that. And we just paired every girl with a makeup artist wow. to get her ready for prom. Oh, my God. That's incredible. That's, yeah, I, that's beautiful. You. Congratulations on that. I mean, thank keep you. doing amazing work with that. And you know that you have my unconditional support oh, anything we that you appreciate guys need. it yes so um you've mentioned that you had a pretty long career in sort of media and journalism and um you're also working on a on, a, on another film called, a documentary called a time before kale which we'll <laughs> talk about <laughs> which we'll talk about in a little bit but i want to kind of understand how doing both these things have kind of shaped your career how doing your 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 media and journalism work and now doing this work as a filmmaker kind of shaped your career and has created a path for you Mm -hmm. well um it's really because I started so young you Mm -hmm. know I started when I was 16 I was really interested in fashion I wanted to be a fashion designer at the time and so um I went to a private high school that's why your outfits are always (laughs) (laughs) playing it's in my blood I will never forget 
that pink feather dress at that uh, dinner. I loved it. Yeah, I, 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 I live in that like color scheme. I live in like different shades of pink and rose. Like yes. that's my favorite. But lately, I've just been doing a lot of black. I don't know what's going on. Black is stylish. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but yeah, I wanted to be a fashion designer, and I went to a private high school, and. In my art class, this girl just kept talking about her fancy internship with a fashion designer. Mm. And I was like, "Like, what is an internship? I did, I did not know what it was. Right. But at the time, I was a very competitive person. And I'm like, well, if she's got an internship, then clearly I'm going to get an internship too because I'm working in fashion. Like, this is going to happen. And right. so I live in Bed-Stuy. And, like, you know, sometimes when it's a nice day out, I'll get off the train maybe two stops before I'm supposed to get off and just yeah. walk home. Yes. Um, and I remember passing this fashion boutique. And so I stopped in and I'm like, hey, are you guys looking for interns? And they were just like, yeah, we are. Um, you know, bring your resume. And I go home, I'm like, man, I don't have this resume thing. And like, I had a resume, but it mainly said that I like babysat and I watched dogs and that I did things in church and I've been to a few other states. Like, it made no sense, nothing correlated. <laughs> but I took it to them and I was super confident, super excited. And they gave me a chance to wow. be an intern at that boutique. Yeah. And at the same time, time I started seeking out opportunities online Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's when I came across the Teen Vogue It Girl program and Teen Vogue It Girl program was basically like the readers that take all the surveys that end up in the magazine. So when they say, like, we surveyed our audience Uh, and 57% of them like gushers over uh, silly string. Like, you know, I was a part of that, that they surveyed. And so um, I signed up for that program. And it was kind of like being an influencer before being an influencer was a thing. Because they'd have these really super cute exclusive events and you'd get to go and mix and mingle, take pictures, put on your little blog, you know. And so I, I did a lot of that. And in as a combination from um, working at the boutique, but also working with Teen Vogue, it built up a really strong work ethic in me. And it also helped me fill my resume um, and fill my portfolio with things so that by the time I graduated high school and I was in college, I was able to apply for part-time positions in media. So I started, you know, freelancing for a couple of sites. And of course, I was interning too um, for a couple of websites, you know, just doing everything that I could to build my portfolio Um, And once I graduated, I started working at Vibe, and then I transitioned out of Vibe and into um, this company called Media Information Services, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like putting commercials in television. And then I left that job because I wanted to go to film school. (laughs) Right. Didn't get into film school, but I had the dinner table, you know, and it was around that same time that I got that, you know, note from the student like this is cute, but what does it do? So I'm like, okay, with the time that I have, I'm going to go ahead and work on this project. But it was really hard because I was really broke, you know, but I and like I was kind of like living on the dream that like, you know, you know, when you don't have a job, you could just be an entrepreneur and it's going to be easy. And it was very hard. Um, And there was a lot that I did not know about business that I still didn't learn until I decided to get back into the workforce and then start taking a business course. And so Harvard has like an extension online business school. So I signed up for that. And I also started working in a school with students teaching media literacy. And so I was doing that at the same time. And the business class really helped me understand like, girl, what you were doing before was cute, but that was (laughs) not it. Like, first of all, you're running a nonprofit organization. That's what this is called. And second of all, you know, there are so many things, just basic business 
things about, you know, knowing what a balance sheet is and knowing, you know, like the different options that you have for even filing a business, you know, right. um, all those things I learned and I'm so glad that I did so that by time. That is so, I don't mean to cut oh, you off, no, but that ahead. is so key because I think like so many people, we're, we, we're living in the in the age of the entrepreneur, right? Right. And it's just like everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, but it's like basic things that we just do not know. Oh, my goodness. And we're putting ourselves in a position. We're setting ourselves up, mm-hmm. right? So I think like that is really, really key. And like you have to do the work to understand what oh, it means yeah. to own a business. Oh, yeah. It is, it's so much that, you know, you you don't even think about. But yeah. it's so important. And I, I remember, like, I used to be really proud to tell people, like, I hate math. Now I'm like, okay, I, these <laughs> those econ classes that I took, like, I'm so glad I took them because right. math is now a part of my everyday life, right. you know, kind you of running my own business. It. I have to figure it out. Yes. Um, And so I worked with kids and then I got a call to be an associate producer for a show on Lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, so I left that and I started working on that show. Ironically, it was a reality show. So I got the chance to work in everything that I've researched and it confirmed so much and right. taught me so much. <laughs> Hopped on another reality show and then um, at the same time, I was applying for the 501c3 for mm-hmm. the dinner table because we were registered as a business, but we right. didn't have the 501c3. Right. And that application is so tedious. You could teach a class. Okay, listen. <laughs> it was so real. So I, I, I used the third party to help me because, right. you know, if you didn't use a third party, then you need a lawyer and you right. need, like, all these things. Um, but they just want to make sure that you're actually, you know, mm-hmm. running a charitable organization. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, by the end of the year, we got our 501c3 three status um and so once that happened it was like oh this is great but then the paperwork starts coming and it's like oh this is real um so i decided to leave the reality show and you know jump back into this full time but what makes it so different is that um not only do i know what i'm doing like all of the work that i'm putting in is showing in the foundation that's being built for the organization. And that's mm-hmm. what makes me really proud. And that's like another gem. Listen, listen to Asha, y'all, <laughs> y'all. Just listen to Asha because foundation. And oh, how much yeah. how many times do we skip those foundational oh, steps? Right. And I'm I'm sure it's like it's not always glamorous it's and not beautiful and Instagrammable, but that foundation is so important. And I think so many so many times we skip over that step. So I'm so happy that you're 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 making that very clear. Like you 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 know that the work that you're doing now mm-hmm. is for the foundation and the legacy of your organization. That's beautiful. Yeah, and it's so it takes a long time, yeah. you know, because we're in our fifth year of existing but in reality we're just getting started which is amazing but it's been so nice to you know just see it come to life and the funniest part is like everyone's like okay are you are you getting paid is it funded is it and i'm like no but with every day the more i you know find more resources and go to classes and take courses and learn about grant writing and learn how to pitch to grant writers you know cuz sometimes that's not something that you can do you can hire someone out and so um you know i've just been learning so much about business and how to run a business and how to be a manager um and like I won't say that it's draining. I really enjoy it because I'm I'm you very logistical. I right. love details. I love understanding why something works. Right. Um, but to continue to strengthen my creative muscle, I still make films. And so that's kind of where A Time Before Kale comes in. Um, I got that idea shortly after I left my first job to go to film school. Right. Um, 
I've lived in bed my entire life, and I've watched it change. Um, and I studied photography um, in high school, so I'm really good at that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's something that a lot of people don't know. Like, right. I'm, I'm really picky about visuals and, and a lot of things right. because, like, I understand the art. And so um, I had just been photographing my neighborhood and, and taking pictures of how everything has been changing so yeah. fast. And I remember I went to do laundry, and I remember just coming up to my room and, and finding a book by Jamil Shabazz on my bed, A Time Before a Crack. Mm. And he's one of like my inspirations. He's such an amazing photographer. And I remember going to a talk that he had, and he was saying that he created this book, A Time Before a Crack, because when him when he sat down with his publisher and they laid out all of his photos to start making books, um, they realized that there was a huge difference in the way that people looked in the early 80s versus the late 80s. And so he decided to make that first book with the pictures from the early 80s, A Time Before a Crack, because he wanted to show that there was a community of people that were thriving, that were happy, that were a community. And so I was really, that that all kind of came to me in that moment. I'm like, maybe I can do a project called The Time Before Kale. Right. And it'll show that before gentrification really just did this huge sweep, there was a whole community of people that were here and that were happy and thriving and, and living. And so um, I didn't even think of it as a film until things started moving faster than I anticipated and I didn't have a chance to photograph everything and I was also busy with the mm. dinner table. Um, so I said, you know, I'm just going to keep building this project slowly but surely and I'm not going to forget about it. So anytime I had free time outside of the dinner table, I would work on A Time Before Kale. But this last year, I became very intentional about making sure that it happened right. because there's no way to stop what's happening, what's in bedside. It's yeah. hitting us like a freight train. And so... um. I've been, you know, just recording, doing a lot of research. I'm yeah. like an encyclopedia when it comes <laughs> to Bed-Stuy now. Um, and so I'm in this program called the Diverse Filmmakers Alliance. And basically we meet and we workshop our projects. And that's where I'm currently workshopping A Time for Kale. And hopefully I'll like film something very soon. Yeah, I mean... I think the project is so important. I, I'm stalking you on social ah. for every like little piece of it that you give us. But um, I'm super excited for that to come to life. I can't wait to be there to celebrate with you and oh, to push you over you. the finish line with it. I'm, I'm really excited for the project. Thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. um this, this last workshop that we did, we decided that, um, well, we, I got feedback. Because <laughs> I don't have a team for it as yet. I'm right. building that now. But like this last session that we had, um, they're like, you know, this actually, you have so much information, this can't be a documentary because right. it's too much, right. but it's all so good. Yeah. And so we kind of, like, they gave me the feedback that I should make it a series. And that's mm. kind of what I wanted to do all along because right. I'm like, gentrification is not just happening in Brooklyn. It's right. happening everywhere around the world. Right. And all of those stories need to be told. But um, I'm really glad that it's going to be a series because this now gives me a little bit more freedom with how I can balance it with the dinner table. So I decided that this summer I'm going to shoot a pilot episode and I'm mm. going to like, you know, kind of work things with the pilot episode and then see what happens from there. Breaking news. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. That is, that is, is super exciting. I'm excited for you. So. With your work on the dinner table doc, your work on a time before kale, your long career in journalism and, and media, I feel like you've shaped this really strong personal brand, but also have a a very unique take on personal branding. So let's talk about your take on personal branding. And you shared this with me a while ago, and, <laughs> and it's literally stuck with me because it, it helped me so much. Because we live in 
just this crazy time. But I I, I love your take on personal branding. So oh my gosh, it. yeah. Um, I'm like anti branding. I'm like an anti branding <laughs> brander. <laughs> like, um, I just I just I use social media like like a diary almost. Mm-hmm. So however I'm feeling or whatever I want to capture and share with my audience, that's what I do. Right. Um, just because I, I believe that because I chose the entrepreneurial route, right. um, I people deserve transparency. Right. You know, um, people deserve to know that it's not always glamorous. That it's not always easy. And so, um, with with my with my brand, um, <laughs> I feel like you can't build your personal brand and your professional brand at the same time because that's really going to conflict with the way you work. I mean, and and I think people might kind of cringe when they hear me say that because it's like, what? Like, I have to make sure that everything is curated. I have to make sure people are getting a certain message when they visit my page because you know sometimes Instagram is like your portfolio. You know, exactly, I've been yeah. to events where you know I'm networking with people and they'll ask what my Instagram is and just to make sure that I'm doing what I say I do, like they check out my page. Um, But for me, I just feel like there's so much work to be done and there's like a line to draw, you know? Like if you're taking too much time to prove to your to your audience that you are a brand and that you do provide these services, like without actually doing the service, then you're wasting time, you know? Like to me, it's so much better to just do the work and post the process as you're doing the work, and then people will come find you and do, and, you know, and refer for you then. Like, right. and followers don't even matter, you know, for things like that. Because I know some people who work in entertainment who work with, you know, the biggest names ever, and they have s- such little followers, you right. know, and you wouldn't even know that they're on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's just because they're out there and their head is down and they're they're doing the work all the time. And to me, it's like. The time it takes for you to do the work versus pose like you're doing the work, like <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I love it. There's a there's a very there's a very big difference, you yeah. know. And I just I just feel like it's better to just do your thing and post as you go instead of taking time to let people know. Because even when I'm like hiring someone for a job, you know, I'm very picky about my visuals, like right. very very picky. Like again, like I studied photography and like our our teacher taught us how to Photoshop whole people out of the background of photos. <laughs> so like I know when somebody's getting me on a photo, right. I understand exposures and stuff like that. So if someone wants to photograph my event, I'm going to their Instagram and if all of their pictures are really saturated or with a filter on it, then I'm kind of like, "Uh, eh, do you really know this job?" But if, you know, I visit that person's page and they just take pictures naturally and it looks nice because it's something enjoy that I'm like okay well then let's let's talk right. you know like don't just don't just don't just you know pose and say that you're doing it like talk the talk and walk the walk and like get the work done absolutely you have to have to do the work that is so important and and I think like one of the key things about what you said is sometimes we take the time to curate a personal mm-hmm. brand instead of actually just going out and doing the work that's going to build your personal brand and I think like I feel like people our age actually had that time. Like you said, you've been working in media for such a long time since you were like 16 years old, maybe younger. You had that time before social media was really a thing to do some of the work. Oh, yeah. And so I feel like that's so important. And I feel like a lot of the people that are actually doing great on social media have done years and years and years Mm -hmm. and years of work to prove themselves. They're not trying to build a brand now. Um, But I think you also have 
identified what your work is. Mm-hmm. Some people's work is personal branding, like mm-hmm. that have what that's what's become their work. But your work is filmmaking and philanthropy. Philanthropy. So you have that thing already. Yeah, um, and like um, sorry, Kachi, no, but no, the ahead. thoughts just are kind of flowing now. Like <laughs> I just think about. Like, when people want to build their brand audience mm-hmm. and, you know, like, it's no shade, but it's like, there comes a time where you're going to have to stop spending money on personal branding courses or, like, branding courses and actually take the time to understand your audience. I think that's key. Like, I sometimes my friends will come to me and they'll ask me, you know, like, how did you build your brand? Or like, how did that tweet you did go viral? And how does your team and, you know, how does it? And they, they want to know how we get the numbers. But for me, it's like, well, I have to understand who my audience is first. I have to talk like them. I have to talk to them in this. I have to speak their language. Right. And I won't know that unless I take the time to understand who they are. And so, like, sometimes when my friends will ask me for help, you know, I'll say, like, OK, so how many people are in your audience? Or, like, if they want to sell a product, I'm like, okay, how many people have actually bought your product? And some people will say the number, which is always a good thing, especially in business. Like, even if the number's low, just say the number. And some people will say, like, well, it's not really about the numbers. It's about the mission and the past. And it's like, all right, did you sell five or did you sell 500? Because, like, we don't have time to talk about the feelings. You know, we have to be real because even if it's five, you don't have to feel ashamed about that. You can investigate those five people and understand who they are, what they all have in common, and why they keep coming back to you and your brand. Do they repost your stuff? Why do they repost your stuff? Like, learn who those five people are, appreciate them, find fun ways to make them a part of your team, and then they're going to lead you to, like, a complete, uh, like, ant colony, really, of people who feel the same way, who are going to love what you do even more. And then like that whole pressure and that whole, you know, idea that you have to get the visuals right first in order to Mm -hmm. bring the people will kind of go out the window because it's like the visuals will always be right because you have the right audience. And I think that's something that's missing in a lot of, um, you know, a hundred percent. And, and I always, and I said this on the last podcast episode too, but I'm constantly reminding myself that social media is not the work. Oh yeah. It's not the work. It's a part of the work. It's mm-hmm. a part of your strategy. It's a part of the, you know, but it's not the work. And if, if your business, if you as a person that owns a business or is trying to build the business, if your business is you sitting down posting five day, five times a day on Instagram and responding and tweeting. And if that's what your job is as the owner, then something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong. It cannot be what you're doing consistently. Like like you said, there's like numbers that need to be crunched, mm-hmm. books that need to be balanced, things that need to be budgeted. So I think, I think that that's why I loved what you had to say. And I started this podcast to focus on emotional wholeness. Mm-hmm. And I think, and how do you think, and the quest for like the perfect personal brand, it kind of impacts our emotional psyche and our emotional state. Oh my gosh. I mean, I've been with people who do some crazy things all for the sake of having the perfect Instagram posts or like, you know, like, and and it really consumes who they are without them even realizing that. And to me, 
I mean, I love social media, but I also hate social media at the same time because it's like while I love it for being that space and that diary, like sometimes I got to push breaks and I got to take a break. Like right now my Twitter is deactivated just because there was too much going on in the world and I just need some time, you know. But I think if you don't take time to do that, take time to understand who you are, take time to take care of yourself and you're always concerned about, you know, what's happening on one platform, like, you do realize we live in the 21st century. Like, it's 2018. Right. You're concerned about Instagram today. There might be <laughs> a new app tomorrow that everyone's on, and then that's a whole other platform for you to try and master. And then, you know, two weeks from now, there's a whole other platform that you're trying to master. And I think, like, even now with Instagram TV coming, oh, yes. I know a lot of people are kind of, like, shook, like, okay, how do I take this brand to the next level and it's like just do what you were doing before for the people who comment and and, you know um really like engage with your work like get to know them and what they like and what they'd want to see on your instagram tv like don't think about don't think too hard about it or else you're really gonna you're gonna make yourself sick you gotta take care of yourself absolutely and this, the next two questions, I think I'm gonna start asking every guest from now on. Ooh. But I think I think it's an important one. Um, what does emotional wholeness look like to, for you? Um, friends and family, mm-hmm. friends and family, most definitely. Um, because I've been working in entertainment for so long, um, I've I can't I don't want to say that I've seen it all, but I feel like. I experience enough noise to want to come home and be quiet sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, um, or because I am in pop culture, like there are some times where I want to not be in pop culture and I want to talk about offbeat things or I want to laugh at memes that make no sense. And I can't find that anywhere other than with my best friends and with my family. Like my nephew's one and he has no idea what it is that I do and he clearly doesn't care <laughs> at this moment, you know, but if we're singing Wheels on the Bus or we're singing the Ants Go Marching One One by One, he's happy, I'm happy. And like just those moments, those are things that you can't experience anywhere else. So um just taking the time out to be with my family and friends and centering myself in a space that's not pop culture. That's that's wholeness to me. Wow. I love that. A space that's not pop culture, a space that's not shared. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's 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 really that's really good. That's that's really good for emotional wholeness. And you mentioned family and and that's what it what what emotional wholeness looks like for you, but how do you make sure that that remains intact as you work to pursue your dreams? Um well, my friends are in a group chat with me and we we talk every other day. I wouldn't say every day because, you know, we're all working. Right. Um but sometimes they'll drop a meme in the chat and then that gets the conversation going and that's enough for me. Or when I become really overwhelmed with everything that's going on like I tell them all the time I'm always in the chat like I'm the emotional friend so I'm always in there like I love you guys so much you're the greatest thanks for being my friends you're my sisters (laughs) like we're I mean but you know like I go to them and I rant and they allow me the space to do that you know my mom too like she's probably heard everything at this point you know I just I, I let it all go and that's how I take care of myself like um, for me, it used to be writing, so I used to journal a lot, but now it's it's talking it out. I have to talk it out with someone who's going to be mad with me in the moment, like, yeah, that was so wrong. I can't believe that. And then somebody will tell a joke, and then we'll laugh, and then 
I'm over it, you know, so that I, I have to get things out of my system. I have to let them go. Um, I once heard someone explain it really poetically, like sometimes when you hold things in, it's like your rib cages become like a jail cell for mm. all the things that you left unsaid and they're trying to get out. And I don't want to keep those things in. I have to let them out. I have to let it go. Wow. That's amazing. I love that. Um, so we talked about a time before kale and we talked about dinner table doc. So as we wrap things up, can you tell us where we can find you on social media, even yes. though you're not an Asha is great to, to follow because she is just sharing her journey. She's not building a personal brand per se on Instagram. She's sharing her journey and she's showing us um, how her brand is going to actually build itself. Yeah, and that's what yeah. I think you guys should take away from this is like, you know, Allow your brand to build itself based on your work, mm-hmm. not based on curated pictures. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and for me, it's it's kind of fun because it's like I've been sharing a lot of things about a time before kale um, and, and saving them to, you know, the highlight story. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait till we start filming it to be like, remember this, guys? Like <laughs> now you see it actually happening. So every all of my social media handles, you're following the process. So you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram. I'll probably be back on Twitter by then <laughs> um, at Asha KB. So A-S-H-A-K-Y-B. Again, on both Twitter and Instagram. And then if you want to follow the dinner table, it's dinner table doc, D-I-N-N-E-R, T-A-B-L-E-D-O-C on both Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and A Time Before Kale right now only has a Twitter and an Instagram. And that's A Time Before Kale. All right. <laughs> so thank you so, so, so very much for coming, Asha. Thank I really, really, really me. appreciate this. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go on to iTunes and like, subscribe, and comment. And until next time, stay whole. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.